Hello. This episode is the last episode of 2023, and I hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season and end of your years. 2023 has been a wonderful year for my little podcast. I've been blessed to talk to so many awesome and amazing people about horror movies and monsters and villains. And today you're about to listen to a monumental episode for the show. This is my 100th episode. This is a truly crazy thing to think about, and I want to make sure that everyone listening knows that I wouldn't be at this milestone without the support of my family, my friends, and the just the entire horror community. Thank you guys so much for showing me all the love and for giving this show a chance. And of course, thank you to, to every single guest who's appeared on this show, whether they've been on once or they've been on multiple times. I, this is an interview based show, so I can't do it by myself and truly thank you to every single guest who's helped me make it to episode 100 and thank you to every one of you guys for listening to this show and giving this show a chance. Before we get into today's amazing conversation, I want to give you all an ad read that will have you guys feeling a little woozy here. Learn all the ways to cheat death's design by picking up the latest issue of Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. Fangoria has been delivering quality magazines since 1979, and each collectible issue features exclusive articles about your favorite monsters, as well as up-and-coming terrors. Be sure to check out the Fangoria store website for subscriptions and a bunch of cool merch, and while you're there, use promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. That's right. 20% off your entire order. Applies to subscription and one-time orders. Applies to the first subscription order only. Now, please join me for my 100th episode of the Would You Die podcast. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're going to need a bigger boat. Be my victim. You are all right, Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, it is my 100th episode. I've done this podcast thing 100 times, and I'm super excited because I got a really, really special episode today. I'm, I'm like so excited, guys. Today, I am joined by an incredibly accomplished screenwriter and director. He's made films like The Final Wish, Good Samaritan, and you might know his work best because he created Final Destination, which this is blowing my mind right now. And uh, and the topic he picked is might be my favorite topic I've covered on the show because we're not talking about a monster or a villain. We're talking about a true horror icon. We're talking about the films of Wes Craven. And Wes Craven's one of those people where it's like, that guy's movies is why I want to make movies. And uh, what a hell, hell of a way to celebrate your 100th episode. So I'm super excited. Everybody, please welcome Jeffrey Reddick. Hey, how are you, brother? I'm so good right now. 
<laughs> awesome. That was a great introduction. I don't know how I'm going to um, uh, live up to that, but we're talking about Wes Craven. So you can't go wrong when you're talking about such an iconic person. <laughs> so I'm excited. <laughs> I agree. Because uh, when we were setting this up, you mentioned you kind of mentioned Freddy Krueger. And I I told you over email, I never will pass up an opportunity to talk about Freddy Krueger. <laughs> but to talk about Wes Craven, just his body of work. I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Um, What's well, it's so, <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny because I Nightmare on Elm Street, I, you know, I always give credit to that movie because that's what really cemented my love for horror like i liked it a lot before nightmare on elm street like i would watch everything that came out and i certainly appreciated it and thought it was really fun but uh, nightmare on elm street just made me fall in love with what you could do with the genre it really really blew my mind and i credit it with my career and so i was like i always talk about that but if we're going to talk we yeah we should talk about the we should talk about the mastermind <laughs> yeah. behind it of Wes craven because yeah he, that movie has, has had a, such an impact on so many people I know. And he's just, he just had such an illustrious career and so many groundbreaking films. And, you know, we definitely lost him too soon. But um, what's your favorite, Wes, just to put you on the spot, what's your favorite sure. Wes Craven movie? <laughs> well, I feel like, I feel like there are two, there are two movies that most people gravitate towards. And I'm 100% mm -hmm. going to go towards one of them because I, uh, I got to go with Scream. Yes. And I'll always credit Scream for being one of the, because when I was growing up, I was scared of everything. So I didn't realize <laughs> I was a horror fan until I was a little older. But Scream, I've, I've always loved movies and Scream was in a way about movies. So I was able to connect to Scream and I was like, maybe the scary movies aren't so bad. Maybe I can handle them. Because uh, Scream scared me, but it also made me laugh. It pulled me in with great characters and a great mystery. It blew my mind when I first saw Scream, uh, which for people listening, spoilers for Scream and A Nightmare on Elm Street and probably most of Wes Craven's filmography. <laughs> but I did not see the two killers at the end coming. Oh, I didn't either. I'm not one of those... Even with the Scream movie, the sequels now, where you kind of get used to people going in trying to figure out who the killer is, I just go along for the ride. And so it's, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just go along for the ride. So I never try to, I mean, sometimes I try to figure it out, but then I just get so caught up in the movie that I can't, yeah, I, I never really figure out who the killer is. I sometimes think I know, but he always surprises me, you know? And I think what's so great about Scream is like so many other films in his career, you know, that was kind of another reinvention of the genre. And, you know, obviously Kevin Williamson get, gets such credit for writing such a great script as well. But, you know, Wes Craven, you, you know, saw this script and just like A Nightmare on Elm Street had done before that and just like Last House on the Left and some of his earlier kind of really exploitive, like dark films that kind of created a buzz against in the indie horror circuit. Like, you know, he's just kind of reinvented the genre and he, you know, he even with Wes Craven's new Nightmare, uh, that movie was a intellectually meta movie about the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which, you know, came out six years before. Well, I don't um, I forget exactly when Scream came out. Um, I think you now three years before Scream or a couple of years before Scream. So Wes Craven was kind of on the meta trip 
with night with Wes Craven's new nightmare, which was kind of ahead of its time. And then when Scream came out, you know, I think that was a perfect blend of like humor and meta that yeah. turned the genre on its head. So, yeah, yeah, this is why I'm like, oh. Zoom. I love Zoom, but I'm like, we're we're trying not to talk over each other. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. No, but and that, this is why I had it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but again, that's what I love about his work is like, you know, I feel like he was he's always definitely had his pulse on the on what's going on in the in the public zeitgeist um and then a lot of times he's been ahead of the curve with with something like again west craven's new nightmare which didn't do as well as a lot of the other nightmare films and i think that's because it was meta and it was treating freddie as a movie but also kind of bringing him into the real world so i don't think people kind of knew what to do with that um at the time that it came out as a as a nightmare on elm street movie because we've gotten so used to to the funny Freddy, you know, cracking jokes and the over the top set pieces, you know, but then he turns around with scream and it hits its lightning in a bottle. And it, again, it, yeah, just sets the genre on fire and, and sets it in a new direction. So um, definitely just such an iconic filmmaker and such a smart man too. Like he yeah. was, he was, you know, a teacher and, and, and very into philosophy and, you know, his influences went from like, Jean Cousteau to Ingrid Berman to Alfred Hitchcock. And again, he did films that would be considered super exploitive and sleazy, like The Last House on the Left, and then went on to do like such such classic films as like A Nightmare on Elm Street and People Under the Stairs and, you know, The Hills Have Eyes and, you know, Red Eye, which was a great mainstream oh, yeah. thriller. So again, is just having him in the genre has done so much to the genre and influenced so many filmmakers. Yeah, just can't say enough about him. I actually, because uh, I worked at New Line Cinema, which is also known as the house that Freddie built, because that's studio. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I worked there for eleven years, and and they ended up doing Final Destination. And I remember that um, New Line was doing a documentary called The House That Freddie Built. Um, so they interviewed me, and then they told me that Wes Craven was coming in. I forgot who they were interviewing after me, but they were going to interview Wes Craven in, in an hour. And they asked me if I wanted to stay around and meet him. And I don't get starstruck because I had worked at the studio for a long time by the time they were doing that. So I'd met like, you know, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman when they were doing Seven. Like I got to meet them, you know. And so I, by the point, you know, by that point, I learned how to behave myself professionally <laughs> around <laughs> stars. So, but when they asked me if I wanted to meet Wes Craven, I like got really overwhelmed. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to stand here for like an hour and this seemed like a creeper and then I so I just went home and then I oh. beat myself up forever over that but then thankfully um during the last house on the left remake premiere um Wes Craven was there and I got to sit down and talk with him for about 20 minutes and it was just you know they say never meet your heroes but he was so gracious and just took a lot of time to like talk to me during that premiere. <laughs> um, and I kept trying to say, I don't want to keep you. And he's like, no, 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 we're fine. So I, so I did actually get to uh, talk to him, you know, that on that one night, which was special. Cause um, like, again, we, we lost him too soon, but uh, yeah, just such a kind, like kind and smart man and very appreciative. I mean, I know that genre films weren't necessarily what he wanted to do with his career, but he made the, he did so many good films and he never looked down on the genre and he became quite happy with the legacy he created and was creating again with the re reemergence of Scream. And it's always nice when somebody, 
you know, you love seeing genre filmmakers who love the genre. And sometimes, you know, people will get into the genre to break in and then say, well, I really want to do romantic comedies, but I knew a horror film would be cheap and easy to make and make its money right. back. So I'm using that to break in. So it was yeah, really there's nice a lot to... of that. <laughs> so it's nice to see somebody who could have been frustrated that he felt stuck in a genre um, and not be a happy person and to see that he actually just embraced that and created so many memorable films. Um, I'm, I just yeah. I know other directors who feel like they got stuck in the genre and stuff like that. And, and you can kind of tell it you know, more old school people, you can tell that they're just not happy with their career. Gotcha. And you you <laughs> never got you never got that sense from Wes Craven. Even just reading interviews with him and stuff. I, I definitely wish I'd have yeah. gotten a chance to work with him. But just, you know, I still, you know, even after I started working in the industry, I still followed his career religiously and watched everything that he did. And he just again inspiration. I totally get what you mean with uh and I can see people like wanting to do other things so i don't fault them for maybe if they've done one too many horror movies I'm like maybe i would like to try that romantic comedy one day so i don't you know blame people if they start to feel like they're in a rut but at the same time it makes my heart happy to know that even if wes craven felt that way he was still uh what's the word i'm looking for optimistic and yeah. he still put effort even though like, because I know he did uh, music. Uh, what's it called? Music of the heart. With music Meryl of the Street. heart. Yeah, yeah. And in like, like you said, like I, I don't think he ever. I, I just remember reading interviews where, you know, he obviously started off in the, in the genre with more exploitive films because they were easy to make, but they also make were making a statement. You know, like yeah. movies like the Last House on the Left and and The Hills Have Eyes were definitely kind of talking about things that were gone going on in that era, like the you know wars and the counter-revolutionary kind of culture and with the hills of eyes like you know dissecting the nuclear family versus this kind of cannibalistic family so he was definitely like tapping into what was going on at the time and he got pulled into that horror thing but you could see his, his humor kind of coming through when he did like swamp thing and even invitation to hell like um was it which is a tv movie with susan lucci and um yeah and, and you you could see him like just navigating because he did also he would do like a fun horror movie like Deadly Friend and then turn around and do something like The Surf Print and the Rainbow, which was, you know, I think a brilliant take on the a brilliant kind of realistic take on the zombie subgenre. So, yeah. Um, and like he uh, something I really like about his films is um, other people may have maybe felt like they're in a rut with horror, but he would he explored horror because um, mm -hmm. Last House on the left couldn't be any more different tonally than scream but they're both yeah. they both explore the darkness and scream i think has a lot more levity than yeah. the last house <laughs> on the left yeah. but even screams gets really dark and he's still exploring like the human psyche and he's able to what i really appreciate is he's always able to put his intellect into his horror and not every I was about to say not every horror filmmaker not every filmmaker does that like yeah action romantic comedy like some people like they just go and make their day and then go home it feels like you yeah know? you always felt like he gravitated towards material that was saying something below just the context or the the concept of the film like you know the people under the stairs was kind of a really dark 
satire slash horror movie that yeah. dealt with kind of racism and and class struggle and and that was in the early 1990s which is when a lot of that stuff was coming to the forefront of of the public so you you always got a sense that he was even if he was doing a genre film like he seemed to really gravitate towards or write films that had something else on its their minds but not in a pretentious kind of like i'm trying to be important way um, right. it always felt very organic and entertaining yeah because um i I want to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street for a bit. I'm, I'm sure you don't mm -hmm. have a problem with that. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> something I love about Nightmare is I think it's fascinating how he was able to reinvent the, the slasher subgenre by incorporating human psychology and fantasy. Yeah. And it, I, I think A Nightmare on Elm Street kind of inhabits this really unique plane of horror because it is a slasher movie. He Freddy slashes people and yeah. picks them off a group of teenagers one by one. It has those tropes. But then there's something that we just haven't seen before where the killer supernatural and has a personality. Whereas before him, like, I love Michael Myers. I love Jason Voorhees. But personality is not their strong suits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, hacking and slashing are. No, it's interesting with Nightmare <laughs> Elm Street because I still remember when the previews came out and and that trailer voice guy, which has always has been a different person over the decades. Um, I know they switched a couple times, but they always had that same voice. And it was like a new masterpiece in fantasy horror. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard that used as a descriptor for like a horror movie before. You know, like thinking back, obviously, something like Phantasm was fantasy horror but mm -hmm. i'd never heard that like marketed like a horror movie marketed as fantasy horror so i was like oh this looks really cool and then like you said you go and see the film and some of this stuff are, is a little tropish now but it's like just the imagery in the opening with that lamb and you're like where the hell is this tina girl and then you think tina's the lead character and then gets killed off in an amazing friggin' set piece and then you're like holy crap and you know, when you're young and that movie came out, like, even if you've seen Psycho, like, that idea that you could kill off the lead isn't baked into your brain yet. So um, you right. go in there thinking Tina's going to be the lead and then she gets killed and then you're like, oh, holy shit. And then you see Freddy and, you know, he's mutilating himself and in, inside the nightmare. So you're like, you're terrified, like, at the extent that this guy will go to, through to terrify you. It's always oh, cutting off his fingers. He's cut open his chest and maggots are coming out like what the hell's like we'd never seen anything like it and i think another really strong point to that movie is all you know all credit to freddy like my favorite <laughs> my favorite horror villain but so much credit for him also writing the character of nancy who you know in my opinion is like the first like super proactive final girl i like to be very careful how i word that because i yeah. i love me some final girls and i love jamie lee curtis and janet lee and i love all these throughout the centuries like all these or decades you know all these yeah. great final girls that we've had but nancy was the first one that i had seen in a film where she figured out pretty early on that something was going on and then she actively started investigating she started planning you know buying booby trap books like plotting to go after the killer and drag him into our world so she didn't just kind of survive the first two acts of the movie and then get confronted by freddie in the third act and like overcome him like she actually 
started digging and researching and questioning from the beginning. And so, and when she booby trapped the house and dragged Freddie out of a nightmare, like I'd never even seen a female character in a horror film be that proactive. So, you know, I think just as much as Freddie's a great villain, like he, you really, especially, you can't define the impact of that movie without having him being matched against somebody as smart as Heather Langenkamp's, you know, Nancy Thompson. And plus he was just an evil guy. Like they kind of tried to, <laughs> water water it down that he was a filthy childhood <laughs> murderer slash molester like they right in the sequels they kind of tried to tone that down some but yeah they just made him like the most evil of evil and then the thought of these innocent kids being punished for what their parents did like again these are things that are have become horror tropes but at that point in time like he just brought like you said all this psychology together for like you know wow this looks like the perfect american neighborhood and these perfect families and these beautiful kids and then that you find out there's this dark secret. And then when you learn what the dark secret is, you kind of, you understand why the parents did what they did. Like who wouldn't, you know, murder this like right. child molester if he killed all these kids that you knew in the neighborhood and got away with it. Um, but these kids are still paying the price. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how justified the parents were. Um, so there, right. there's a very dark, there's a dark undercurrent to that message. It's like, no matter how righteous your, your vengeance is, like there will be blood and suffering for it. And to kind of bounce off of that a little bit, I think something I love about Nightmare is like we're talking about how Wes Craven always put these themes and what's the word I'm looking He made smart horror movies, I think, where the characters are smart, but like there's important lessons and themes like you're right. The kids are paying the price, but then the kids are like, hey, we know what's up and the adults aren't listening to them. So, yeah indirectly the parents are killing their kids by not reacting to the problem and i think nightmare on elm street like that came out in 84 right um yeah that's just as relevant today because kids are like hey the account like the economy's really bad climate change is coming there's so many humanitarian crises going on right now and the people in charge are like well the stocks are up though yeah, you know? or they're like, look, uh, yeah, look over there. Exactly. There, there's, some, there's some drag queens, so get upset about that and forget about the climate um, right. and the economy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like that's, and, and, you know, I think, you know, he was great at writing young characters and also older characters because your pers perspective on life does change when you're younger because when you're young, you can see a lot of the stuff going on in the world and, and you don't necessarily know or understand how long societal or world change takes you know you can pass laws to do things but that doesn't mean that the world changes overnight or within five to ten years like real change a lot is it takes time and you know i think that's a lot of the anti-establishment stuff that you know he he had in his earlier works where where people like were very reactionary like again you had this nuclear family going out you know, just minding their own business. And then this other family, because there were nuclear tests done in the desert, you know, they had, they were, you know, deformed and mutated and had, and were cannibals, but it wasn't their fault that they were the monsters they were. They were created by something that mankind had done to them. And right. they were just kind of protecting their turf and doing what they did to survive. And they obviously had love within that twisted family. They just didn't have the moral, same moral compass that our quote unquote normal nuclear family has like don't <laughs> don't rape and don't kill and don't eat people like they didn't have that moral <laughs> compass but that family 
still had the affection for each other, but they had been turned into monsters by something outside of their control, which is, you know, again, these are like things that just knowing Wes's background and how much of an intellect he was, there's a lot of that that, you know, just is in his work intentionally. Um, but I think there's also great areas where, you know, we're probably are reading stuff into things. Um, yeah. But that happens with any art. You know, people will read stuff into my stuff and I'm like, yeah, I meant that. I'm super smart. Um, <laughs> um, but um, so, you you know, that's a beautiful thing about, you know, any kind of art is like everybody that watches it or views it will interpret different things into it. So, yeah. but I just think there are very clear kind of like what was going on in the world at the time that he made certain films. You can see a very clear pattern of him really tapping into the the vein of wh where things were at, you know, which I think just makes him a very brilliant filmmaker who yeah. wrote great stuff and also had great taste when he directed stuff he didn't write. Right. Because I think uh, when it comes to the Scream movies, you got to give a lot of credit to Kevin Williamson for creating that, that world, oh, those characters. A lot of that meta stuff comes from Kevin Williams. Well, because you wrote oh, yeah. it, you know? All of it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all of it comes all from him. Yeah, all the meta stuff comes in there and the humor and, and also the love of the genre, though. Like, that's... Right. You know, I feel like Scream was... And you could feel it from the script and then you could also see it in, you know, Wes Craven's directing and you could also see it in the act. Like, people were committed. Like, it's, it is like a love letter to us horror geeks you know the people that have watched yeah. the movies and know the rules and know what you can and cannot do in a film like kevin that was just such a brilliant thing and i and i love his story too because as most of us who work in this business you know he had gotten to the point he was ready to quit like and he said he went up to a cabin you know and was like i'm gonna write this one last thing and if nothing happens with it i'm out of here you know because it's mm -hmm. it's a very grueling being an artist in any form and i don't mean pretentious artist i mean just writer director musician yeah. painter uh you know all of those things are fall under the art category but it's it's hard when you're trying to make a living at something or, or you're trying to make a living in a business that and it, even a culture that doesn't really consider art real work um right but you know he he wrote that script out of that place of not even desperation i would say but that place of like i'm gonna give you know like that I'm just going to go for it one more time. And he kind of wrote something that was really ballsy and comes from his own love of the genre and knowing the rules. And that's what I think that passion comes across in the script. And then you add in Wes Craven and the cast and, you know, it's just same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. Like every studio yeah. in Hollywood had passed on that script and Bob Shea, who's a film lover, which I think, you know, there's a, there's a lack of film lovers running the studios and networks nowadays. I mean, it's, that's not a slight on them. That's just a lot of these yeah. have become conglomerates that have business people running them and they don't understand art or really care about it. They're all about just profits, uh, which is their right. right to be as a business. But, you know, Bob Shade loved films and, you know, he, he made his living by showing like underground films around college campuses um, until he, you know, it was distributing those. And so, he kind of bet the bank on Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven got to make the movie he made. And I can't believe the budget was like 1.5. I think it was just something insane for yeah. all the, the effects that were in there. But, you know, it just goes to show you like this was Wes Craven's passion project. And if you give somebody like Wes or you give somebody like Bob or Kevin, you know, who, who are really writing from a passionate place and love of the genre and you give them a shot, like you get magic. And 
that's something, you know, that we could use more of in, <laughs> in this industry. You know, I think we're seeing so yeah. much product coming out now that's product as a part, as opposed to like, let's make a movie. And uh, even when I say art, I don't mean that pretentiously, like let's make a Academy Award. But, you know, a splatter movie yeah. can be art, but you know, any kind of movie can be art, but like, let's make something because everybody involved loves it. And we, this is a story we want to tell. And so much right. of the films today are now done by committee where, you know, you'll get somebody who loves your script, but they don't want to, they don't want to take a risk because if it doesn't do well, it falls back on them. So it's a very risk averse business. So that's when they start saying, well, let's, maybe let's have the best five comedy writers in the business come in and do a pass on this comedy script. And that way, right. you know, if it tanks, we'll be like, well, we had the best five writers in, in comedy come in and punch the script up. We don't know why it didn't do well. And it's like, well, because you keep Frankensteining on things or you keep adding on things and, and, when you read the script for Nightmare on Elm Street or for Scream, like two different writers, but those scripts are the movie that you see aside yeah. from some minor adjustments. And it's because, you know, Wes Craven loved the script of Scream. And so he added his wonderful ability to like, you know, for great performances and building suspense. He, he, he brought all that visual oomph to the project, but that passion was in, and that cleverness was in the script that Kevin wrote. So instead of Wes coming in and being like, well, I'm going to change everything about this movie and turn it into something that I feel like I have ownership of. He made the movie that was on the page and that was written by somebody who loved the genre. And I think that that just, again, always shows through when you go to see a film. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm sure you know this little uh, this little story already, but I remember I was either watching like a Scream making of documentary or some sort of Wes Craven interview, or maybe I was listening to the commentary. I don't remember. But there's a line in Scream where Drew Barrymore's character, she's like, uh, oh, you're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one with the guy with knives for fingers? That was scary. And she's like, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. And yeah, uh, Wes Craven uh, wanted to take that line out, I guess because <laughs> he's like well yeah. that's kind of me <laughs> mean um and people are gonna think i you know but i think uh kevin williams was like well that's a lie you know i wrote you know and wes kept it in yeah but i do think no, that's it, funny <laughs> no i i do too and, and you get the you get the thinking behind the scenes is because you don't want you know because once you do anything people dissect it and 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 you know overanalyze it so yeah you don't want Wes didn't want people thinking that he, that he's crapping on the, the franchise and saying his was the only one that was good, but you're getting what Kevin wrote in the script, which is, you know, he loved the first, you know, like yeah. and that doesn't necessarily even mean that he thinks the rest of them suck. That just means the you can't top the first one. Um, so, right. you know, so it's, it becomes that thing of like Wes being like, I'm sure being like, I don't want to seem like a douchebag or, you know, and then Kevin's like, yeah, but I wrote the line. That's you know, and he's <laughs> like, all right, let's roll with it. Let's do it. And if I remember correctly, I think he also said something like, well, I made the last one, so it's okay. I'm still making fun of myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you mentioned about Wes Craven, his talent for directing great performances. And I think it's really astonishing his talent his talent for finding talent because a lot of people he worked with either like he gave them their breakout role or they were breaking out when he worked with them i think very famously like johnny depp in a nightmare on elm street are a lot of the screen cast you know <laughs> yeah well that was funny because i remember johnny depp in the early in the early days would 
not acknowledge Nightmare on Elm Street as his first movie. And it was kind of a, it was just a joke. It's like, oh, he's not even, you know, and then he finally did at some point. But it's like, come on, yeah. dude. There's nothing <laughs> right. wrong with horror. <laughs> exactly. And then, but like, um, I rewatched uh, uh, Dream Warriors, which I know he didn't, Wes Craven didn't direct that film, but he wrote it, um, or co-wrote it. He was involved. And like, mm-hmm. that movie has a very young Patricia Arquette, who's now an Academy Award winner, and a very young Lawrence Fishburne, who I, I just love Lawrence Fishburne oh, in yeah. every movie. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I watched uh, The People Under the Stairs for the first time the other day, because um, I wanted to see that movie before we did this because I had never seen it before. It's awesome, by the way. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it is. Um, And Ving Rhames. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, um, he's, he's, a, he's got a really good eye for talent, I think. Um, and I think he's one of those directors that talent wants to work with. Or, uh, you know, I hate talking about him in the past tense. So, so I'm not going to correct myself. But, you know, he's just one of those talents that people, I think, the people that I know that worked with them have, you know, have never said had anything but like a huge amount of affection and respect for him. And this was, this was while he was living. It's nice to find people to say nice things about you when you pass, but right. when you meet people, you know, who know you when you're alive and everything's great and they're out there just, you know, singing your praises and especially having worked at New Line. I knew so many people that had dealt with him over the years that, um, again, just talked about, Basically, his kindness was first and foremost, you know, which I think you do find in a lot of horror creators as people meet us and they think we're going to be like picking scabs with a butcher knife, <laughs> you know, picking scabs in our legs or our knees or something. And they're like, wow, you're not creepy. And I'm like, no, it's the romantic comedy writers that are scary. I'm totally <laughs> kidding about that. But um, but people are surprised that, you know, because I I always think for myself and, you know, I think Wes had talked about this you know, about that kind of how horror lets you exercise your demons. And even before I had heard him talk about that, you know, I know that horror, you know, was an escape for me growing up. It wasn't like I, I wasn't watching these movies going, oh, I want to go out and murder pretty teenagers having sex. Like it wasn't like that right. at all. It was just more the thrill of getting kind of like this vicarious experience where you get, get your fears out. And where I, when I grew up, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and we had a drive-in, but the theater, the drive-in theater where you could go as a group was like quite a ways away. And it was like, if you ever went, it was like fancy, you know, like you had, you got some extra money in that month that you could actually go to a movie theater. So for me, you know, it was me and my best friends, like sitting around, like at our houses, watching these like horror movies and just like jumping and laughing and screaming and having a great time. And it was, it's very cathartic in a way to be able to, and even as I've gotten older, it's like, you know, going into a theater and being able to kind of let release all that fear and scream and get tense and like have it released, like all that stuff and, and to do it in a kind of a safe space, I think is is a very, it's just like when they used to tell ghost stories around the campfires back in the days. And, and you know, there's something that's very primal about that. Like we, I think we need to laugh, but there's so much of the unknown going on in the world or so much stuff that's out of our control that we also need to have a safe space to, to vent those like dark feelings and I think horror movies allow us to do that you know they're easily maligned you know it's 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 people are ridiculous like I've, I've just heard even way before I was born like with with all these old horror movies they're like oh these movies are like a moral outrage and it's like showing people that there's a dark side to humanity you know there's nothing outrageous about that and 
it's true. Like you go back to Shakespeare stuff. I mean, some of that, that has some of the darkest, most vile, murdery, rapey, yeah. dismemberment stuff that I've ever <laughs> read. <laughs> um, so it's not like, you know, the written word has created this stuff. This stuff is from our nature. And so I think good screenwriting or it, you know, it doesn't, it's not even, but good movies like tap into that kind of stuff. Like they tap into universal fears that we have or, or discuss things that may be taboo that you couldn't really talk about in a drama or a right. serious movie without, without kind of being too heavy. The horror, the horror genre kind of allows you to explore different dark themes in a kind of scary but whimsical way because it's, you know, if it's a mass killer or if it's a gloved guy who comes at you in your dreams, that's enough of a fantasy layer between you and reality that it can still scare the hell out of you. But it's, it's like a little step removed. Like if you live in the city, you're not worried about Jason, you know, getting you in the woods right? Um, until he came, until he came to New York for like five seconds. Then you're like, <laughs> oh, he might, he might come to New York. But yeah, I think so much of, so much of Wes's work did center around like families either going through something or kind of the idea of family or, you know, nuclear family, like what is going on behind the scenes? Like what secrets are behind that perfectly manicured house or even if the house is kind of run down and you've got a pit bull. Um, right. Parking, yeah. <laughs> um, and you look really perfect on the outside. What's going on when you put your husband in a ball gag and, you know, <laughs> right. Um, and people under the, and people under the stairs. So um, yeah, he's just, he was just a fascinating filmmaker. Oh yeah. He's, he's definitely one of those filmmakers where, like I said, at the very beginning, and I think you could have, agree to this he is someone that makes makes us want to make movies yes yes absolutely like that's that's a you know again a nightmare on street was such a heavy influence on me i mean i talk about this a lot but when um when i first you know i i originally wrote the concept for final destination as a spec script to get an agent and then when i started developing it with the producer at new line nightmare on Elm street was very much an influence because um originally like death since it couldn't it didn't kill them in the crash it started exploiting their survivors guild in this very kind of horror fantasy way and force them to they till they kill themselves so you know alex did still find out about like the death design that they were dying in the order they would have died in in a crash and was trying to fight back but it was a very it was a much darker twist on the story um and that was very much influenced by wes craven and um you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that James Wong and Glenn Morgan came on and, and did the version that they did because they came up with a Rube Goldberg, like very grounded in reality way that death got people. And I thought that I've always said, I think that had that's made it more, made the first film more accessible to people outside the genre. Whereas I think my darker take with the Nightmare on the Street influence would have just appealed to horror people, um, which I still would have been very happy with, but I don't think it would have had the the legs that it has if it wasn't for the kind of Rube Goldberg aspect that James Wong and Glenn Morgan brought to it. But I did take a couple of the death scenes from, <laughs> from, um, from that original darker version and put it in Tam, put them in Tamra, a couple of those. Cause I still love the fantasy horror stuff. I still like doing that. Yeah. It's just hard. Cause there's so many, just because the industry has evolved and changed and everything seems to be based on an IP anymore. Like you have to have an intellectual property behind something before like a book or a comic book or a video game or a right a, a title it's always got to have something else behind it before you can get something that's original made it's not impossible it's just harder but there the positive is that there's a lot more outlets 
out there to get your films out and then than just like the five studios that we used to have where it's like this is the only game in town or you go straight to video and now it's like we have the streaming services which are helpful so there's a lot more opportunity to get your work made and seen it's just the studio avenue is, has has heightened a lot where it's on you know like if you're not based off a huge bestseller or or have like one of the Chris's attached to your movie, <laughs> um, one of the golden Chris's, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to get studio films made these days if yeah. it's an original property or original concept. So that's that's why I think the independent films are, you know, they they kind of come out of the gate and, and surprise people and, and do well. And I think that, again, harkens back to even the old days of when Wes Craven was doing stuff, mm-hmm. you know, doing these kind of indie films that kind of shocked the senses but had people talking about them you know I, I would say it's weird like last on us on the left is kind of two movies like one is a really yeah. kind of original like og torture porn kind of movie but then it also had this side story with the cops it was like almost keystone cops with like co- comedic music and the cops <laughs> were like doofuses so it was a very <laughs> weird mixture of tones and stuff like that but it just, it, I think it's just very interesting that there's like a whole cyclical project, you know, like where you could say like Last House on the Left was what, you know, was the start of a torture porn cycle in that era. And then we kind of went back to it. You know, we kind of got back to that later on here. And now we've kind of, you know, we've gone through our fantasy horror cycle. Like, I don't think that that's going to end, but, you know, I do think that we're seeing a resurgence now of the slasher genre. I mean, obviously we have our stalemate, I mean, not our stalemates, but our, um, our checkpoints like the screams and, um, yeah, leather faces but you know you're seeing happy death day to me and even thanksgiving just came out and once upon a knife and and you know so i think we're seeing this you know resurgence of like slasher it's like netflix's um rl stein's fear street like you're you're seeing like yeah. the slasher films kind of having a, a nice resurgence as well so that's exciting oh yeah and uh i'm glad you brought up thanksgiving and it's a wonderful knife because it's bringing back the I think I saw it on Fox News. Um, well, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. watch Fox News. I saw it on Twitter on Fox News. That Fox News was uh, bringing back the uh, the moral panic of horror movies. I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's again, it's it's distraction. <laughs> it's funny. You know, obviously, Michael Kennedy, who wrote It's a Wonderful Night, was having a field day with that because yeah, they were like, oh, my. Like it's like with Silent Night, Deadly Night back in the day. It's like, oh no, we can't even have Thanksgiving without somebody, you know, out there murdering people on Thanksgiving. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> the history of Thanksgiving isn't that wonderful. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm not even I'm not even going down that road. It's just like let's have a little let's have a little sense of perspective here. Like with all the shit going on in the world, like you're really going to dedicate like any any amount of news time to complain that there's a slasher movie set in. Thanksgiving and then there's another slash movie set during Christmas you know right and you obviously haven't watched it so it's just another reason to be outraged (laughs) exactly because I I don't know if you had a chance to see it's a wonderful knife yet but I saw yeah I I I I got to catch it at my local theater it was only playing for one week and I saw it on the last day so I I was so close to not seeing it but I did I was so glad because that movie was so heartfelt I was like, yeah, I love these characters. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's has yeah. a whole whole lot of it's it's definitely a whole lot of heart in a way that you don't expect in a genre film, and it still has the blood and the and the good kills. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the cool cool, you know. But you know, again, that's again what I love about the genre so so well, and I think 
you know, just kind of keeping it, you know, on topic a little, a little bit, but I think that that's what yeah. Wes did too. So well, is like, there's so many, you can have your, your horror, co- you know, comedies and you can have your heartfelt kind of horror and you can have your horror with the love story at the center of it or your horror film like red eye which starts off like it's a love story like it's a meet cute on an airplane and then turns right. into like a super suspenseful movie there's so much that you can do with it and i think wes craven just got to juggle all that stuff and kind of just laid a lot just laid a lot of groundwork that that a lot of people that i know of my age and younger people and older people in the business like you know have certainly inspired and influenced us in ways that we would not be you know i don't there would i don't think there would be a final destination if there was not a nightmare on the street like i because that whole fantasy horror thing like until i saw nightmare on the street like me and my friends you know we were just trying to find like the grossest movies that we could find <laughs> because that's why we were watching them and it was it was more to be rebellious because our parents yeah. were like we don't like you watching these movies but at least we know that you guys are home and you're not out you know doing anything bad or getting in trouble right so so we'll let you watch these we don't really like it um (laughs) but for us it was just so much it was just fun and it was naughty and then my two guy friends were like we want to see boobs and i'm like i want to see that guy's butt but you know they got to (laughs) see a lot more boobs than i i did but but you know whatever um but it was just it was just like it was just kind of like you know we're just like these kids just doing something naughty and it was so much fun and then Nightmare Elm Street comes along and you're like, what the, <laughs> what, you know, your mind is blown by like what this genre could be. And you all of a sudden that's what made me, again, I, it went from like something that horror films is something I enjoyed to something that I just became obsessed and fell in love with. And I'd already been reading Fangoria, but man, I was like reading books and trying to find everything I could find on Wes Craven after Nightmare on Elm Street and just went, you know, just dove for head first into the horror genre and and it just opened up my brain to like the possibilities because a lot of the, the even the stuff that i wrote before i sold final destination was fantasy like i you know i have a i've written one slasher film um <laughs> that'll hopefully <laughs> be shooting next year but before most of all, most almost all my stuff i mean not saying that you know tamra has the slasher tropes to it but you know she's a witch and she can get inside your head and i've written a zombie film and and now I guess Return to Cabin by the Lake is uh, it's that's a kind of that's a slasher movie, but most of the stuff I've written has been like fantasy horror because I just because of Wes and um, yeah that's why I was even able to open my brain to like what if you know someone had a premonition and cheated death and then death came back after them like that didn't just pop into my head one one night that was like a culmination of like reading an article about a woman who missed a flight because her mom had a bad feeling about it to me trying to figure out an idea to get an agent for an X-Files episode. And I was like, oh, that person missing a flight's cool. But what if they had a premonition? And what if they cheated death? Like, what yeah. if that's a thing? And then, you know, but that was like, when you're working in this business, that's why you really have to be persistent and you have to keep working to try to better yourself as as a craftsperson. You know, because I go back and look at my first five scripts and I'm like, those were like, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Before I really started learning and learning and, and getting better at taking notes and listening to people. But to kind of find that right alchemy of like an idea and story and characters that makes something special. Like it, like if I hadn't seen Nightmare on Elm Street, I would have probably just written and been writing slasher movies my whole life, which is great. I still love, I love yeah. slasher movies, but I, my brain would have not have been open to the idea of fantasy horror. I love Phantasm, but it was, it was, it, it, when I saw it when I was young, it was always fun to watch, but I was just like with, as the sequels came out, I'm like, I, was just getting more confused and I'm a simple country boy at heart. So my brain's <laughs> not that big, 
Um, <laughs> so even though no, I'm totally kidding, I just don't want to sound like a douchebag with phantasms because I, I do enjoy <laughs> them. I, I enjoy them, but they just got weirder and weirder. I'll be honest. <laughs> I didn't get phantasm when I saw it. I, so, uh, yeah, so just... I got you. Uh, <laughs> I'm mean, just a simple Midwest boy. A... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but there is something dreamlike and cool about the story and the imagery in the way like there's yeah. a there's a lot i love about it but with nightmare on elm street it like kind of brought that fantasy horror like you know into like your middle american neighborhood you know yeah <laughs> like in your your you know and it put in the, in a world that i could get my head around and then i started digging into that kind of stuff and i'm like oh there's so much psychological stuff that you can mine with with these films and um yeah, he's just, a, he's influenced, you know, I, I know every filmmaker that's my age or older <laughs> and probably a little <laughs> younger. I know he's had a huge impact on their careers because, and even the younger, like the younger kids, I call everybody kids um, now, <laughs> but the younger kids, you know, that grew up on screen, like, that's... I mean, what a great fucking movie to have as, yeah. your, as your iconic film, because that movie, again, just raised the bar in a way that hadn't been raised in so long so like what a great movie to like be your your like nightmare on elm street for your generation <laughs> well it's funny because i was just like yeah that would be mine because i grew up with but i'm like i actually didn't because scream came out in 96 i was born in 94 um i i did not see scream when i was two i saw it when i was in high school my mom showed me scream and a nightmare on elm street when i was in high school and those movies were very influential on me but now i'm thinking about it, i'm like i grew up with final destination oh so it, <laughs> well, like it's cool. true those are the move those are the yeah. movies coming out and it's i'd see the previews and they'd scare me because i my mom didn't let me go see Final Destination when I was five. She was good. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, they would be around. Uh, I remember Final Destination and Saw being the big franchises while I was growing up. And they were very different. But at the same time, I was like, uh, these are scary. Why? Why did that commercial give me nightmares? I didn't even see the movie. <laughs> But when I finally yeah. did watch them, I'm like, I, I love these movies. I'm glad I'm part of this. I'm glad I'm part of this generation. Well, I am, too, because, again, like I always say, it's it it takes a village to make a movie. And there's so many decisions that go on to get something actually in the can and out there to the public. But when something does hit like Final Destination, like just as a fan myself, like I know how important the fans are you know like none of us would have careers if it weren't for for fans you know appreciating the work yeah. that people do so um so that's always very nice to hear and i and i i do get a lot of a lot of log truck memes <laughs> <laughs> like pretty pretty much i don't think a week has gone by that i haven't at least gotten one and i'm probably <laughs> if i added them all together it's probably more than one a week because sometimes i'll get like five of the same videos <laughs> from five or six or ten different people going have you seen this and i'm like I love them because I do because it's cool, you know, just as a horror fan to to know that something that you created and worked on and there were again, it's not diminishing all the other wonderful people that have worked on it with you, you know, because again, it's, you know, yeah. we've had so many great filmmakers on on every single one of these films and sequels and so many wonderful cast people as well. And so I, I give all of them credit for being part of this legacy, but just as a horror fan to know something that something that you kind of started the ball rolling with has had such an impact on the genre. It's like, I don't want to die tomorrow. I kind of want to have a couple of more 
you know, maybe just one oh, more yeah. movie that's like as big as Final Destination, just one. But if I did die tomorrow, at least I know that those fucking log truck memes are going to be going around <laughs> forever until like we're all just driving spaceships and people are like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then it'll be the log prehistoric... ships. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something falls off the spaceship, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, uh, it is that hour point, so... I know you I know you got a oh, lot wow. going on. You're super I could keep talking forever. Uh believe you me, but I know you're super busy, so I'll wrap things up. It did not feel like an hour. Uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> like it's so funny. I when you just said it the hour was up, I was like, What? It did not feel like it at all. Um I and I yeah, could no, keep I talking. Could, <laughs> oh, I could too. The only the funny thing is my my voice is because it's today was a little cold, so I didn't for LA. Like I don't even want it. Let me I'm just going to see what the temperature is when I when I say it's a little cold, because when I tell you, then people, most people listening to this are going to be like, shut the fuck up, dude. You're a, I'm like, this is Los Angeles cold. Let me just see what the temperature is right now. Um, okay, it's 58 degrees. It's 58 oh, degrees okay. It's 31 here. Okay, so yes. So that's why I'm like, fuck me for saying that 58 is cold. But for LA, it was cold and I didn't wear a jacket, so I was out walking around a lot today. Um, no, I do get so that. It, <laughs> I do get that. Cause like when it's summertime and then we, I'm pretty sure you're from Kentucky, right? Yes. So, you know, weather in like Kentucky's not Midwest, but like, and kind we're, and kind of like that Eastern part of the country, weather changes so quickly. You, you mean like when tomorrow it's supposed to rain and then like, it's sunny yep. all day and then all of a sudden it'll rain for like a minute and then it'll get sunny again and then it'll get really cold all in yep. one day yeah <laughs> our yeah. um a, five five days ago it was like 50 and sunny and then the day after it snowed and now it's in the yeah. 30s and it's welcome to michigan <laughs> yeah it's like doppler we've i don't know what thousand i remember i remember when i was young it was like doppler 2000 it's probably up to like <laughs> doppler twenty thousand. It's like, why can Doppler, this Doppler machine, not get the weather right? It's like, because it's changing all the time. But yeah, yeah, I do. I do miss the erratic. <laughs> I mean, you definitely <laughs> get your winters and your summers that are yeah. that we're getting shorter every year. But I, I did miss like, oh, it's definitely going to rain tomorrow. And then you wake up and it's sweltering hot. And then it's like, oh, it's not <laughs> raining today. And then like an hour later, it's like raining. You're like, crap, I didn't. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the fun part of weather. Is, yeah is it changes <laughs> but but yeah today today was kind of a chilly for la times it was a chilly day so yeah i didn't I, oh <laughs> i was telling you that because i because my throat's been getting a little scratchy um, gotcha so i don't i don't know if i sound like i either sound really butch or i sound like i'm a little sick i don't know which <laughs> one it is but when we listen back <laughs> when we listen back to this podcast i'll tell you which what it sounded like but <laughs> okay um, <laughs> i love yeah. that well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, uh, for talking oh, to me. It was my pleasure. Awesome. I, it really was. I'm uh, I'm so excited because, like I said, this is my 100th episode. I've done this 100. That's crazy to me. I don't even feel like a podcaster still. And I'm like, I am. Oh, dude. You're I've done 100. Yeah. Yeah, you're a, you're, you're a 100 milestone, dude. You're absolutely yeah. a podcaster. I'm really, ex I'm really happy that you're the one to uh, to do this with me and that you picked an amazing topic because I, I love I love your films and I love the films of Wes Craven. So this has been like an amazing experience for me. Well, this is the will be the first of many, my friend. And um, 
how how long have you been podcasting? I I, I googled, I did my googling, but then uh-huh. I had I had two calls before this, so my brain <laughs> is like I'm tr- and my throat, so I'm trying to make sure that I like say stuff and don't sound like a dumbass. But how long have you been podcasting? I have been podcasting since or this February. Show, I um, well, this is my only podcast I've ever done other than like, okay, like a guest spot here or there, but a uh, February of 2022. Oh, okay. So, so I was going to say, have me back for 200. I just want to make sure it wasn't going to be like 10 years from now. So you're taking uh, these babies out. Oh yeah. Once a week. So maybe, maybe not, uh, next, not 2024, but I'm pretty sure 2025 would be 200. Okay. So We'll either do it when my slasher movie comes out or we'll do your 200th episode, whichever one comes sooner. Yes. And let me know when that comes out and I'll do my part to uh, to help spread the word. Cause, and and oh, obviously, watch, it. I'm so excited <laughs> for that. That's going to be so good. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to make it. So, yeah, just working on getting all the pieces in place so we can finally pull the trigger now that hopefully the strike is over. So, yes, I I love that. That's going to be great. (laughs) I'm looking forward. I'm already looking forward to it. I know anything can happen, but, you know, I'm putting the positive energies out. It's going to happen. Thank you. I appreciate that, brother. And congratulations on your 100th interview. It's funny because I was going to just say a joke. I was I was going to it's you know, it's gets dark here earlier. So I try to be mindful that, you know, like now it's pitch black outside. When we started the podcast, it was like bright. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I always forget how dark it gets all of a sudden. So I was like, oh, I should probably drink some caffeine before I hop on this podcast because I've been yakking on the phone on conference call that I want to sound tired for his 100th anniversary. But um, <laughs> but no, it's just, you know, again, very honored that you asked me to be your your guest for it. And again, what a great milestone for you as a, as, as a podcaster. Just the 100 episodes. That's freaking amazing, dude. Um, well, thank you so much. All right. Well, we'll stay in touch, my friend. Um, yeah. And I wishing you and all your listeners like a really amazing into 2023 and let's all kick some ass in 2024. That's yes. It. Kick ass, kick ass and take names. Yes. We got this 2024. Uh, there 2024. Don't know what's coming. We do. It we has got no this. idea. Has no <laughs> idea what's coming. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Jeffrey for joining me today. It was a truly an incredible experience to talk to a true horror legend about another true horror legend. It it's still uh I mean it, this episode's out, it's public and it still boggles my mind that it happened. I'm it's truly a great experience and I want to thank every single guest and every single one of you listeners for helping me reach this milestone. A lot of podcasting is solitary work but my podcast wouldn't exist if i didn't have someone amazing and awesome to talk to every single week and honestly i wouldn't keep going if you guys listening weren't listening because otherwise what's the point right (laughs) so i really i really appreciate everyone who helped make this podcast a reality every single week i love this little show and you know when i started when i started i didn't think i'd make it this far i think i don't know i thought maybe we would go 
20 episodes maybe a couple months i don't know it seemed like a fun experiment but i've been doing this for almost two years and this is episode 100 so it's really i i'm really grateful for this uh opportunity and uh i have no plans on slowing down anytime soon i love this little show and whenever and whether you've been listening since day one or you're just here to listen to Jeffrey Reddick, I truly appreciate you guys giving my podcast a chance. Here's to 100 more episodes. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. If you like this show, please let me know. Leave a review and rate on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to this show. Also, feel free to interact with me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you're most comfortable. It may not seem like a lot, but trust me, every single like, share, comment, follow helps this podcast grow and helps to keep me going. And if you'd like, feel free to let me know how I'm doing. What do you like about the show? What are some areas I can improve? Guests you'd like me to have? Monsters or movies you want me to talk about? If you have any ideas, let me know. Because the only way I'm going to become a better podcaster is if you guys give me what you think I'd be better. Because I think I'm doing okay. This is episode 100. But I'd like to make it to 100 more. So if there's any areas... I can uh, improve or things you guys would like to hear. Feel f- Just don't hesitate to let me know. You can find the show social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. And you can also follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast. Would You Die is a partner with the Three Wise Men Media, a Metro Detroit-based group of awesome guys, Kyle, Tyler, and Dylan, where they bring you professional wrestling, independent comic books, and so much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week is a recap of 2023 with a favorite returning guest of the show. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die. <laughs>